Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and today I'm really excited for my conversation with a guest that I've brought on and we've gotten to know each other and I'm super excited because we're also both Gestalt psychotherapists. So let me introduce you to Melissa Bennett-Hines. Melissa obtained her master's degree in clinical social work from Columbia University and is a graduate of Gestalt Associates for Psychotherapy in New York City, New York. In addition to her background in Gestalt therapy, she obtained her bachelor and master's degrees from the esteemed conservatory Manhattan School of Music in New York City, where she majored in oboe performance. Melissa is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in the states of New York, Washington, Texas, and North Carolina, and has over 20 years of specialized training and experience in the treatment of addiction, PTSD, sexual trauma, childhood abuse, chronic mental illness, mood and anxiety disorders. Melissa enjoys working with adult men and women in both individual and group settings who are secretly miserable. These are people who seem fine and have it all together, but struggle with getting their needs met, perfectionism, and codependency. We're going to talk more about this. Melissa brings her background as a professional classical musician and her deep spirituality together in a unique approach to treatment in the creative and experiential therapy of Gestalt. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Cindy. It's so nice to be here. Yes, that's great. I'm excited. So I always like to start with my guests by asking you to describe your personal and professional journey to becoming a therapist. Yeah, I went in what might seem like a back road to finding this profession and finding the work that I was called to do. And I really feel like Gestalt therapy found me mm-hmm. wasn't I was searching for this particular modality, but backing up a little bit prior to that, I come from a family of classical musicians. I never even thought that I wouldn't play an instrument. It was just part of how we operated in the world. And my mom was my first teacher. She taught me piano and my dad taught me voice. And I went to the band director in junior high. This was seventh grade. And I asked him for the oboe in the closet that I wanted to try to play it. And he told me that he personally didn't care for the oboe. Oh, I, I had a, a, a strong will. I always have been a strong-willed person and I told him I didn't care. I still mm-hmm. wanted to go oboe. And I got home, rode my bike to Jim's house of music, spent $7 of my, my own money to buy this oboe reed and went home and put the reed in the horn and started playing. 
because I was determined wow. I was going to go to school the next morning and sit down and band with that oboe and play that music. And so that, that much I, determination. Oh, yeah, I was uh, very determined and I instantly just felt like this was the instrument for me. So I was on the track and dreamed of winning a principal oboe job in some symphony orchestra in this country, of which there's like, I don't know, 10 that you can actually make a living if you get the job in. And I ended up starting to, I think what I would now call just become depressed when Mm. I was about 20 years old. And I was very discouraged. I was really lonely. I was just struggling and I went to a lesson one day. I was very close to my teacher who has now deceased. His name is Henry Schumann. And I just loved him dearly. And I went in to his apartment where I had my lessons and I sat down and I just started to cry. And I remember at the end of that conversation, he said to me, have you ever thought about seeing a therapist? And I, right. And I said, absolutely not. I don't need that. I'm not that bad. And I think he probably laughed and he said, Melissa, look, there's two kinds of people in New York, those in therapy and those who need to be. And he shared with me his experience of having gone to a therapist himself for many, many years. And I just couldn't believe that this man who was so grounded, so wise, so present, so loving and generous Mm. and incredible what he did went to a therapist and that opened the door he normalized seeking treatment or help or therapy I don't remember how much longer it was after that that I walked into my therapist's office for the first time wow and by the end of that couple of years with her, the first couple of years with her, I was finishing up my undergraduate degree and I knew I was going to go on and study and go on for my master's degree. Um, I had been accepted. I got a wonderful scholarship to continue to study. I loved it. But and you I, were still in music at this point. I was point. still in music. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I knew deep down in my heart, Yeah, I knew that this was not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, I knew there was something about that relationship. There was something about the healing of it being seen, being held. that really sung to me in a way my body just resonated in that space. And that was something that I never had experienced before. I'd been seen for something I did well. I was seen through my instrument but I wasn't seen until it was my teacher and that therapist who really changed a lot for me about being in relationship yeah. and being in the world. Mm. And that was hard. That was a hard, long process to accept. There was a lot of resistance within me to accept that this thing that I invested everything into I had been studying since I was five. You and your whole family. I mean, it's it's a legacy. It's a a legacy for you guys. Yes. And I was living my father's dream. My father's dream was to go to New York and study at a music conservatory. And he wanted to be a studio musician. Uh, And he did not live that dream. And so I had that pressure 
And there was so much fear of like, what was dad going to say? What, how is this going to affect him? Cause he was, I was very close with my father. He was one of my greatest supporters. He was my teacher. He was Mm -hmm. my accompanist for many years. And I'm surprised that when I had that conversation with him and explained really how I was coming to this choice, he really understood. Mm. He really understood. And it gave me a very wonderful gift in that. And yes. So yeah, I went on to grad school. I knew I was going to go on to something else. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I, I just really want to thank you for sharing this. I mean, it's, it's so personal and so touching and, and not only that, like the, the parts about you and your teacher, that's intimate, right? What you shared with us. Thank you for, for letting us into that. And in a way, when you talk about, I wasn't seen, but he showed you him, he allowed you to see him in a different way. And then with your first therapy experience, it sounds like that changed a little bit for you. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. And in that process, during that time, my mom died Mm, and my teacher was there through that and he was such a constant and I'm so glad I had a therapist at that point (laughs) Um, because that was the first major loss of a human being and it happened suddenly. My mom died in front of me. Oh my gosh. I was 22 years old. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. It changed my life Mm. and it was an incredibly painful experience that, you know, I couldn't talk about her for, I remember four years. I don't know what it was about four years, but I had switched therapists in the meantime. I graduated with my master's. I went back to school to accrue credits to qualify to go to social work school. I started social work school. um, And you're going through this whole gutting process of grief. And and every time I talked about my mom, I would just. Of course. Yeah. And I remember my second therapist at that point said to me at one point, what stood out was, what would you say to her if she was sitting here with us? And that was it. I really lost it. I was so overwhelmed with emotion because I missed her so so much. Um, but that was a profound life-changing experience, which, you know, was revealing into what I later learned with more loss and more grief that with every loss, there's opportunity. Mm-hmm. There's something to learn. There's something to be gained. There's always growth to be done out of it. And we need loss. It's part of life. And it teaches us something. And I'm really grateful that the experiences I've had, um, that I've been able to get support through and face, maybe not in the time I would have wanted to in the healing process. You know, the healing process is what it is. It takes what it takes. Um, But those shaped my life and shaped directions I went in and choices I made and people who came in and what ended up leading me to gestalt. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, and, and Melissa, this is one of the reasons that we connected and and that I brought 
brought you on as a guest because there's just this energy about you where, yes, there is a lot of pain, a lot of different experiences, but that that heaviness is there, but with it is that hope and that that intention to be in the world to kind of engage and to see those so see those opportunities you know like i i wish that the listener could see us because there have been smiles there have been like little teariness and then you know serious expressions and then smiles again and you you really embody that so so beautifully and i think that informs your work and of course we know that it's also part of the gestalt way of being too. Thank you for seeing all of those subtle shifts and expressions that um, today I am comfortable sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a sign what you're speaking to of many, many, many years of work on myself and willingness to be who I am. And let the other person see me in this space, because it's not always in our culture invited or welcomed or treated with kindness. The messages I have received that I internalized were you're too sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, Don't take things so personally. Oh, why are you so upset about this? you're too loud, you're whatever, you're too this, you're too that, you're not too much. Yeah. And I was told, you know, to dampen that. Mm. And I did. I did. I shoved it down. I internalized it. Thank God I had music because that was the one area I was able to really be um, expressive and be sensitive and be passionate and feel those emotions through the music and that instrument. And that was the outlet. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Um, I was going to say there was be no way for you to like tamp down your musical expression. Yeah. And I didn't have to, it was, that was the part of me that was really not just wanted, but praised. Mm. you know, and given so much support around and that felt good, you know, and it was a way for me to not completely just shut down mm-hmm. all of my emotional experiences and lock them away. Um, I still had a way to move through them. Yeah. And the hard part was learning to do that without the instrument. The hard part was setting down that barrier which was a safety net for me and being able to learn what those emotions were, what, how they felt in my body, what they said to me, what I wanted to do with them when they showed up because I didn't want to show them and express them so easily. I did. And I didn't, I did because I, I wanted to not be alone in this journey in life. I wanted someone to know me, but it was terrifying to do so. And so in learning how to not have that barrier and let me be seen and let me see the other was not easy, you know, right. not easy. And I, I, I'm a fighter, <laughs> I'm a little girl inside. And I see her. I see her. Oh, 
you know, and bless my therapist, every one of them for every moment that they remained present with me. And I've had a few in my lifetime. Oh, Um, wow. Let me just repeat that. What you just said, that should be the client's prayer to their therapist, right? Bless my therapist for every moment that they stayed present with me. Oh, so beautiful. So powerful. I am so grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, every one of them gave me something. Every single one of them gave me something so tremendous that today I am still learning from. So my first therapist was Amy. And I think of things that she would say to me or ways she was with me. And at that time, that was a good fit. It was what I needed. Mm-hmm. And the gifts that my second therapist, Francesca, gave me and the gifts that my next therapist, Emily, gave me. And they're all still with me. And I use them and I think about them and I remain connected to these women, you know, spiritually. They are here inside and alive. And I talk to them sometimes. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that gives me chills. Your hand is over your heart. You're connected to these people. Mm -hmm. And you know, for any therapist out there who wonders too, like, do we have an impact? Do they remember me? You know, Melissa just just shared from her experience, right? You are powerful. You're a powerful influence in your clients' lives. Yeah. And I think, Cindy, it's far beyond what we as therapists in this role will ever know. Mm. You know, I'm... I. I, I'm sure Amy remembers me. You know, I was 21 when I met her. I was 25 when I left her or we separated our ways, you know, it right. wasn't that I left her necessarily. I outgrew what she had to offer. And I, I don't know if she'll ever really know how much of an impact she made. Mm. Um, maybe she thinks of me, maybe she doesn't. And as therapists, we have, a tremendous capacity to affect people in ways we have no idea for a length of time we might not anticipate for right like exactly I, I don't think I don't think about it that that client that I might have sat with five years ago or 10 years ago I might still be a part of their life today mm-hmm. yeah and, and so I am you probably are and not I with every I- one of them but <laughs> some of them <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think that could be a really good segue to talking a little bit about what gestalt therapy is, because like you said, you, you sat with them, you made an impact. And some of that is also just the way we do therapy and the importance of the relationship no, that's true in in most therapies, but it's mm-hmm. it's primary in Gestalt. So maybe we could just talk a little bit about what is what is Gestalt therapy, and you know, is it? I it's beyond the empty chair. You and I had a previous conversation. We're like, oh, we're gonna have to talk about that. It's not just the empty chair, folks. The empty chair is great. It's a little more than that. And both, I should say, I both Melissa and I were trained by. Um, how would you describe it? I, you know, I would say like, like leaders in the field who worked with the pearls and the pollsters and the Goodmans. And so we were trained by older therapists who had the 
the originals, the OGs of Gestalt therapy trained them. And one other thing, since you talked about you sort of came to it backwards, you weren't really looking for Gestalt, neither was I, a close colleague of mine who currently runs a Gestalt Institute here in, in Portland, Maine, dragged me to this you know, to your program. He's like, oh, Cindy, it'll be great. And I'm like, I don't even think I'm interested in this. He's like, oh, just try it, you know? And of course I loved it. Sort of, sort of not, but <laughs> because it's hard, it's hard work. So yeah. tell me, how, how yeah. can you help our listeners understand what is Gestalt therapy? Yeah. And I, I am so passionate about this and I love talking about it. I like you um, didn't even know that this was what I was looking for. It was someone else. It was my first clinical supervisor and my first job in community mental health, who in my first session with her basically told me that this is what I'm going to be doing. Mm. And I think what she saw in me, what she saw I brought to relationship and how I was showing up in the world was just a really good fit for this type of therapy. And I didn't know it because I barely knew what Gestalt was. I knew I heard of it somewhere along the way in grad school, but it took someone else to recognize and make that connection. So yeah, what is Gestalt therapy? Uh, We will not boil it down to a two minute explanation. (laughs) This is a very complex, multi-layered, therapeutic framework. And let's just start with what is it? So Gestalt is a German word. There is no direct English translation. And it means form or organization or relationship. Mm -hmm. And what the relationship, what we're interested in is the relationship among people. You know, we're interested in patterns that show up. I'm going to give an example that someone gave me. And he said, if I sing the the song, happy birthday to you in the key of C, and then I changed and sang it in the key of F, you would immediately know that it's the song, happy birthday, because it's not the notes that you recognize. It's the relationship between the notes that you recognize that immediately, you know, it's happy birthday. Hmm. One of the other things about Gestalt therapy, there's a couple things I think that really set it apart from other therapies. So it was the first American psychotherapy. This was the first therapy that got started in this country that was brought from Europe. Mm. So before Fritz Perls and Laura Perls landed in New York, they were in Europe. They were, Fritz um, was a German Jew who fled Nazi Germany um, and went to the Netherlands with his wife. And from there, they went to South Africa. Um, But Fritz was born in the late 1800s. He served in the trenches in World War I and came out of um, the war with what we would call today PTSD. Mm. And Fritz was really a pioneer. And the way he operated in the world was very much so marching to the beat of his own drum. I think he was a heart-centered therapist. His family wanted him to be a lawyer. He had a lineage that came from being lawyers and he was right. came back from the war and said, absolutely not. Um, he got into treatment um, in what was known as psychoanalysis at that mm-hmm. time. 
And he was the first person that publicly disputed Freud's theories. Mm. And he really saw that our neuroses or our defenses weren't because we were sick. It was because we were responding in a way to the environment around us that at one point probably worked and served us very well. But as people became older, those old ways of operating to survive or get your needs met no longer worked. Exactly. They got labeled as sickness or a disease. And when you think about Freud and his colleagues at that time, Freud was a medical doctor, Mm -hmm. right? And what they had available to them at the time when they were developing their theories and psychoanalysis was born, they come from a medical model. And a medical model is a pathology model, right? They're looking for sickness. And like a pathologist examines a cell under a microscope, what they're looking for is something that is out of range of normal limits. They're looking at that structure of the cell. They want to see what's wrong with it. And that was the model that Freud had. Um, And that was what he brought in terms of treatment to human beings and their neuroses is what he called them Um, or hysteria, right? Women depressed postpartum and they're hysterical. Hysteria. Yeah. Right. Nervous breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And Fritz Perls just didn't buy that. Mm-hmm. And he really believed and saw in his own life and in the patients he worked with, because he ended up going to medical school himself and um, became a psychoanalyst. And he really saw that these were ways that, of operating in the world that it, you know, it once worked, but no longer were working. Um, and so Gestalt's approach is really a growth model or mm-hmm. a health model. Health. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's this belief at, that, and that human beings, we are self-regulating that if you take us out of one environment and put us into another, we can adapt, we will regulate. And that was completely um, radical at that time in the yeah. 1940s, 1950s. Right. How, exactly. How the organism is going to regulate in the in the environment. Right. Right. And what happens is when we don't self-regulate, when we don't adapt and change, and those patterns that get learned as our brain is forming, as we're developing, um, as we're learning how to survive in the world and developing in relationship, what happens is when these patterns get ingrained and they're out of our awareness and you're just operating there, they become characterological. Right. So he gets stuck and entrenched. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the example I like to use with people to explain this to them is if your nose itches and you scratch your nose, Mm -hmm. that would be healthy. That makes sense, right? Your nose itches, you scratch your nose. But if you then scratch your nose every time you have an itch, that would be silly. That wouldn't even, that doesn't make sense, right? doesn't make sense. Right. But we learn that way as humans, like, oh, that worked at that time. So I'm going to, we just keep doing it. And it's not a conscious 
thought that we're figuring this out. This is all unconscious. It's all out of our awareness. Um, exactly. And now my nose itches. <laughs> right. You scratch your nose. Don't scratch right. your ear. Right. Exactly. But out of our awareness, that's the key yeah. as well that I think is a little bit different. Most therapists are very in tune with like present moment and the here and now, but the out of our awareness piece is a little bit more unique to Gestalt Mm -hmm. that we're all, that it's a, it's a, it's very focused on awareness and it's, it's a therapy of observation, Mm -hmm. noticing Mm -hmm. we're always noticing and we'll, we'll bring that back to your music in a little bit, but I think another way to also help the listener understand is, is this beautiful line you have on your website, Melissa, all of you is welcome here. All of you is welcome here. And that, that just rings of gestalt, but it's, it's also how we work, right? All of you. So in, in your description of Fritz Perls, he, he expanded the the range of options and expanded the range of possibilities with the psychotherapy work bringing the gestalt into it and then that's also what we do with our clients is really expanding their range of responses mm-hmm. yeah their range of responses and their range of communication with themselves mm-hmm. right so there's a there's this idea that we're made up of all these parts. Internal family systems, IFS, really clearly outlines there's these five parts. All of these parts make up a whole. Mm-hmm. And they get fragmented off, shut down, unknown, out of awareness is when they become um, disruptive in our lives, right? So we're making decisions from parts of us that get touched on And when we don't know what that is, and we're operating from these different parts or feelings or past experiences, we make decisions that are out of awareness, right? We make decisions that are often based in past experiences where we've been harmed or they're coming from a place of pain, often fear. Um, Mm -hmm. And what Gestalt does is in this invitation, um, and noticing in the moment of what is happening in the moment between therapist and client, you know, what feelings come up? What is it like when I ask you this question? How do you feel when I point out that I notice your foot tapping whenever we talk about your sister? Yeah, beautiful. And I'm like, well, I didn't even notice that. Oh, you didn't. Well, now that you do notice it, you know, what is it like to notice it? What is your, I have one of my favorite tools in Gestalt is what would your foot say if it could speak? Right. Please hold every experience, whether we remember it intellectually or not. Everything we've experienced in our life gets stored and it's in there. And you have, we have everything we need already there. It's just become inaccessible or we're afraid of it or it's been quieted. It's been told to be quiet mm-hmm. or for whatever reason, been fragmented off. Right. Yeah. And when I, 
say all of you is welcome here. I include those parts that you might not know yet or the parts that you don't like. Yeah. And I want to know these parts of you. I'm curious. Right. We, we help the client become a little bit more aware of those parts. You know, like you mentioned IFS, I mean, Gestalt has always worked with parts. And so they're, they're very closely related that way and helping bring something that's out of awareness more into the foreground for the client. And then it will recede again. And, and we're just constantly noticing, following and tracking. So I love that example of, you know, as you're talking about your, your mother or your sister and your foot is shaking, oh, are you aware that your foot is shaking? What's that like? You know, are those, those questions, I was trained with questions of, you know, what are you experiencing now? Or as, as, as your foot is shaking, you know, what, what are you doing now? What are you in touch with? What, you know, what's happening now? Yes. Right Mm -hmm. now. And even to go on further, what's happening between us? What's happening in our relationship? How are you feeling right now? Sharing this part with me. Mm -hmm. And the part that, you know, I think most therapies, if not all, we probably agree that the relationship is essential, mm-hmm. right? There, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to argue that. But I think what sets Gestalt apart is the use of ourselves and our experiences in the relationship. Of course, with clinical- 100%, 100%. What I'm experiencing with you, that's, yes, my experience, but I am- responding to something happening right here between us right now. And that might be my own stuff, which is why it's important for therapists to be in therapy. So we can continue to look at those things. Right. And I've done a significant amount of work on myself to know what is my stuff. And I'm still learning. And what is being co-created right now that is useful therapeutically for this person. Exactly. It's that microcosm of you and the client, that relationship that's constantly being co-created then that the therapist is constantly also reflecting to the client or pointing out that this is, this is what's happening, you know, and Gestalt is that, that therapy where we commit. We commit to the relationship. We're we're a commitment therapy. I've heard that before. And I really like that because like, we don't get out of it. Like we are always in relationship. Yes. Yeah. And when it's difficult, when you want to run away as a client, and I know what that's like, I've wanted to run many times from my therapist. Um, When something is uncomfortable between us, my role And what I will do with my clients is I am not going to run. I am going to lean into that. I'm going to have those conversations with you and stay present with you. I will manage whatever it is I need to manage. And I'm going to remain right here with you, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how uncomfortable it gets, no matter what part of you shows up. Um, it could be an angry part. It could be a scared part. You know, it could be a very anxious part that doesn't want to talk. I'm not going to 
ignore it with you. And that doesn't mean I'm going to slam your head into it, but I am going to notice it. Yeah, exactly. That's, and, and, and when we notice it and bring it to the client's awareness, right? This, this would be a whole deeper training type of podcast. If we talked about the experiment and downgrading the experiment, if it's too much for them, what, you know, what we do with it, but it's a big part of our work is, is being present and creating for the client well, taking the client rather to that edge, that edge of excitement, the edge of anxiety, that edge of something new, something unaware. And they might not want to stay there. And so then they pop out and that's okay. Yeah. And all I have to do is, oh, you needed to go away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what was happening? What is it like to go away? How are you feeling now that you've noticed that? Um, oh, you're so good at this. seriously that's so smooth and beautiful (laughs) it is not my job to force anything to happen it is not my job to change right that will organically happen with more the more aware I can be the more I just allow to happen what's going to happen without trying to control it by noticing, by remaining present, by using myself as the tool in that therapeutic relationship, change is going to happen because it's like, you know, once you see, how do you unsee? Oh, right. Absolutely. And, and I think that's another reason that I I love this therapy because I'm so passionate about self of therapist, you know, and at first I didn't understand where did that come from, but it really does come from gestalt and the identity and role of the therapist in our work. Yes. Um, Yeah. Oh, essential. Mm -hmm. It is essential. And it's essential that I show up whole. I show up not burned out. I show up rested. I show up with all of the parts, whether I bring them out or not, but to have the awareness and that relationship with myself. So I can if it's therapeutic to do so or not. Yeah. So Melissa, that, that really touches on such an important point. You, you mentioned like Gestalt and not just you, I've heard other therapists who, who are Gestalt psychotherapists mention this. It's, it's an embodied way of life that Gestalt permeates your life. And there's that part of how do we show up and, and sustain this amount of energy and presence and, and attention that, that we need to bring. So how does your self-care, like how do you do your self-care as a Gestalt therapist? Great question. Beautiful segue <laughs> too. What a nice transition. Mm. You're musical in your transitions. Oh, that's mm. crazy because I don't understand music, but thank you. <laughs> you don't have to understand it. Oh. You do it. You bridge very well to the next. Oh, it's lovely. Thank theme, you. The next theme. Yes, you're. It, it's lovely. It's very <laughs> graceful. Thank you. That is such a good question to ask, and this could be a whole separate conversation that I could have for a very long time. Well, we'll bring you back, but for now, uh, I'm. I'll come back. I'll come back. <laughs> invited. Yeah, for now. What's important? 
for me and what I have learned is in being a patient in therapy myself, especially in particular in gestalt therapy, mm-hmm. is in this noticing, in this awareness, in this checking in with myself, how I'm feeling, what am I needing? Those things change. Like what I needed 20 years ago is absolutely not what I need today. What I needed five years ago or even two years ago during the pandemic, now that we're in an endemic, I think is what they're calling it. I'm not sure where we're at. My needs constantly have been changing. And so being flexible with myself, being able to create space when I need it, how I need it, um, noticing what's happening for me. I'm paying attention to what's happening in my body and how I'm feeling emotionally and what's happening in my life Mm. is really important. Engaging day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, what I need. And it's changed over time. And today my self-care and how I think of that is drastically different than how I used to think about it because so much has changed in my life and my practice. Mm -hmm. The pandemic was a really difficult couple of years. And I went from having an in-person practice um, to overnight, everything shifting to online and the use of all of the technology and how I do my work over a computer screen versus when I have somebody in my office had to, in a lot of ways, I had to learn different nuances of the work. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. It is taxing Mm -hmm. to do it over a computer and it's different. And it's not easier. I think that there's a misconception that if you're working only online, oh, it's easier. You don't have to be as present with that person. They're not in your office. You can wear pajama pants and (laughs) you can have a messy office. Yeah, I guess I can have a messy office and I can wear pajama pants, but I don't. When I am in this role, I take this relationship and therapy very seriously And actually over a screen, it's become harder because I don't have access to the things I used to have access to that gave me information. Exactly. We're paying so much attention and we, you know, um, even just, we used to be able to watch how the client enters the room or enters the waiting room or, you know, how they sit or just the nuances. And it's not that we're just completely body focused because that's not true, but so many of the nuances are not there mm-hmm. on screen. And of course, we're only dealing with like, you know, a head and some shoulders. Um, if you're lucky that the client might use their hands, that's helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also the therapist, you know, the therapist has limited use of themselves to create, to co-create that space. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I've had to get very creative. And all of that. And it's hard because people have to be willing to do things over a screen. And they're also limited, right? Because sometimes I'm meeting with people during their lunch break and they're in their car. Right. 
or they have a limited amount of space. Um, in Gestalt therapy, like there's so much movement that can happen in a therapy session, like people dance or they just get up and move their body. And some of that has gotten lost, not having a space together to move and, and move around and, and convince them somebody else to do something over a screen. It's brings a different work. So all that being said, my needs have changed Mm -hmm. because this work is so different and my eyes have to be focused through this screen that is hard on my little eyeballs and all the yeah. work that I'm doing and the lights and so your self-care needs have changed totally tremendously changed. Mm -hmm. yep um I cannot sit in this chair for the number of hours I used to be able to and yeah. do the work in the way that I need to I need more rest I need less screen time I need a lot more outdoor time mm -hmm. um, and connecting with nature has become really important to me. And I don't always feel that that was the case. Even when I lived in New York city and I'm surrounded by cement, Yeah, I, I, there's something that's shifted in our environment for me that that replenishes, you know, I need time to not have to think you know, I need time to be creative in other ways than that gives back. I love to cook and I love to bake. Like there are such mindful activities and yeah. it's a way that I care for myself. It's a way I care for my family. It's a way I care for others and I enjoy it. I really love creating and I love the smells and the textures and the sounds. I'm so making space for that in my life. Yes. And prioritizing those needs and moving. I have to move every day exercise. So it in one space facing one screen all the time. And yeah. that lack of just walking out into a waiting room and meeting somebody, you know, that shifted how my body feels that little bit of movement that I yes, a therapist's know. bodies are not feeling good these days. <laughs> No, it really does. So paying attention to that and prioritizing all of those needs. Um, so I can be whole when I show up here. So I'm not tired. You know, I know that burnout is a very real thing. And when I'm burned out, when I'm exhausted and I have to cut that part of me off or fragment that off, I have now sacrificed a portion of the tool I use in this relationship. Yeah. And Miriam Taylor is a, a genius in Gestalt and she's done a lot of work with um, trauma. And I will never forget her telling me at a conference that it wasn't just telling me she was giving a, she was the plenary speaker one morning and she said, our clients don't pay us for the time we sit in the chair. They pay us for everything we do outside of that time so that we can sit here and be whole. And if you're showing up and you're in pain or you're showing up and, and you have to fragment off a part of you, your clients are going to feel that. They might not consciously know it, but they're going to pick up on that energy 
Yeah. And when you fragment off, you are, you have less in your toolbox to use. That is so powerful, Melissa. I mean, the permission for therapists to do that self-care, to take that vacation, to rest, to turn off the screen, right? That's what will enrich your clients. That's amazing. That gave me chills when you said that. So beautiful. Maybe we can find that quote and, or we'll just put it back in. We'll make that a quote in here. So great. Yeah. It's necessary. It is. It's you know what you, Yeah. And I was just thinking too, when you said about cooking, I mean, I love to cook, nothing super fancy, but I realize I am completely away from the computer then, you know? And so like, I think even tonight I'll, you know, prepare dinner Friday night and nothing fancy, but I know I will enjoy that cooking process because mm-hmm. you are like, zoned out. You're, you're not by the screen and we take it for granted. And of course, you know, I don't have children running around or something. So it's not always like, you know, all Zen it's not, but you do get a change. <laughs> it is not all Zen. No, <laughs> yeah, <that> is. <laughs> sometimes I nick myself. I am actually recovering and now hmm. you're the audience can't hear, see what I just did. She's got a, she's got a burn, a restaurant work yeah, a burn there. It's, it's healing. Um, that was a bad one. Oh my um, goodness. So no, it's not all Zen, but the practice that I get in mindfulness during that time, I get to come back to me. I get to use my breath and my, all my senses, sense of touch, sense mm-hmm. of sound. I love the sound when you have a really hot iron skillet and you slap something in there, it just sizzles. <laughs> and the, the water, when I wash vegetables, I mm. love water oh, wow. and I love to use it as an activity of practicing being mindful of when my thoughts go and drift off back to work or to something I'm concerned or worried about. Just come back to yourself. Come back to notice how it feels to chop. Notice mm. the colors. Hear the sound. Feel the water. Feel your feet. Mm. Take a breath. And reminding myself that all I need to do right now is be present in preparing this meal and caring for myself. Mm. That's all I have to do. What a gift. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And your clients are so lucky to have you and your, your cadence and as you speak, and and that's a gift that comes from your musical background as well. And I don't want um, the listeners to miss out on this connection for you of being a classical musician. As you talk about the mindfulness, I know that was, that's a huge part of being a classical musician and a therapist. And so how does it show up? What you've learned as a musician or continue to learn? And how does that show up as a therapist? Like I was hearing a little bit of it. How does it not show up is really the question for me, but I know you're not a musician. You've already revealed that. So no. although my husband is a singer, so. Yeah. I don't know how I would explain how it shows up because it shows up all the time. I'm very sensitive to sound. I know how to use sound. And, you know, we're creating a space for our clients to reveal, to know, to connect, to be open. And part of that creating that space is the way we are, how we sit, 
how we move, whether I lean forward or not. This and that's a part of your 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 musical training, right? Absolutely. When, yeah. So because you use your body to communicate. You're in a chamber music group and you don't have a conductor, but you're making eye contact all the time. The music is the conversation. One person becomes forefront at other times while there's other ones behind, right? And they're part of it, even though they're not forefront. And you pass around this conversation. Mm. Sometimes you're all really together and sometimes you're not. And there's so many gestures in music. Music is just made up of gestures. Um, so sometimes you want the sound to be light and floating. Um, and sometimes you want it to sound heavy and dark. <laughs> and there's a feeling that you're creating through that music. There's a story that's getting told. And I use that a lot in the way I communicate with what is the stage that I'm setting? How do I want to communicate my feelings? How do I want to communicate my thoughts? What am I doing that isn't being said in building this relationship? Yeah. And all of that training, all of the things that I had to pick up on and listen for and pay attention to and just even wonder about, like, what is the most prominent voice right now? Even as a pianist, there's a prominent voice. Mm. You have two hands. There might be four voices at one time. What's the one you need to highlight or bring out? So it's listening to those subtleties also being received from the client. Absolutely. They don't know because that's a big part of a part that they're revealing to you that they might not even know yet. Right. Or when we match their intensity or their softness, you know, I find myself training newer therapists with that, that, mm. you know, and, and that's almost like you were talking about the, the soft playing of the music or the, the more intense, louder expression. Yeah. yeah that mirroring or the assisting them in coming out with how we might be matching what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And without giving too much information away, I was working in the last couple of weeks with somebody who learned in their upbringing to not show emotion, to be calm, to be constant, to be steady, because there was a lot of chaos. And there was a moment where this person said to me that they know and they use the word shine, that they know they shine. And the moment they said mm. this, their eyes opened and there was this smile. And literally, it looked like their body just lifted up for a maybe a second. It was so brief. And then as soon as they were done telling me about mm -hmm. they know they can shine, they went right back. And I, it was so dramatic. Right. And you had to capture that and, and reveal it back it. to them. Yeah. Because it went, it came and it went so fast. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh my goodness, did you feel that? 
Oh, I love it. You know, did you feel what I saw? And I did it back to of them. Of course, right. We always seem yeah. like we're goofy when we do that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe. There was laughter. And it brought joy because one of the worries is I don't know if there's anything left in there. Yeah. I don't know if there's any other part to me or am I just this numb shell of a human Mm. who's really good at my job, really calm. I'm really good at managing. And that was the glimmer of hope. That moment, it's in there. Right. You are alive. And, and alive. that's yeah. such a great example of the out of awareness part, right? That's, that's like in the client's awareness, but so deep, so far back and it came forward and you caught it and you mirrored it back and created that, that connection gave the client the glimpse of this again. So it can come out yeah. another time. Yes. And it will come out another time. Yeah. It was so wonderful in that moment. And it was such a beautiful connection between us, you know, that I was paying attention and saw it. And then I went back to it and I took the time and I had the energy to, right. right. To go back and I know that in that connection between us, that's kind of where that magic happens, you know, yeah. where um, they get seen and it's not just noticed, but it's invited and wanted and appreciated and held. Mm. You know? And I'm so grateful, you know, that our clients take these risks with us, you know, because that was dangerous to yeah. do. That was the opposite of everything they learned. Because you welcome it. You know, all of you is welcome here that I, I, I usually ask my, ask my guests towards the end, what is your definition of a heart centered therapist? And I'm wondering if maybe that's it, that all of you is welcome here. So beautiful. And I, I bring so much love to this work and I, know that traditionally therapists are told, oh, you don't love your clients. Hmm." We're sisters that way. I believe we must love our clients. Showing up in that way and letting your heart guide that uh, way you're doing therapy and remaining connected to that feeling um, is the challenge of being a heart-centered therapist. You know, it's work, it's vulnerable, takes a lot of willingness. And Yes, that invitation of inviting all of you and wanting to know all of you comes from my heart. It's very sincere. I really mean it. Well, I really want to thank you, Melissa, for being so generous with your time and your expertise and your beautiful soul that just it just shines as you share your experiences with us. And I also want to acknowledge you for the amazing work you're doing with clients. I know you also do supervision and consultation and, and 
I do want to acknowledge you for today, for being here, being so present with me. And it's great to have another Gestalt psychotherapist colleague um, that I've met. So tell everyone how they can contact you because you have a beautiful website that's worth checking out and some other places they can contact you. And also, you know, somebody might be interested in learning more about Gestalt or doing supervision. So we'll include that in the in the show notes. But first, thank you for having me. I so enjoy our connection. Yes, it's a pleasure. My pleasure. How to find me. I have a website. Yes, please visit it. Even if you are not coming to work with me, I have a blog. Um, You can go and read about some of the work that I do and maybe learn a few tools that you can put in your pocket. Um, My website is www.melissabennetthines.com. You can also follow me on Facebook. If you search um, facebook.com backslash melissa.bennetthines. You can follow me there. You can look me up on LinkedIn. You'll be able to find me under my name, Melissa Bennett Hines as well. And I post regularly on those platforms, um, blogs, and sometimes I share pieces or articles or interviews that other people have done that have really resonated for me. And um, I'll just post things up there that I think are helpful. At least they have been for me. And So I hope that even if I don't cross paths with you, you might find something that's helpful to you or resonates with you or that you can take away. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much, Melissa. And I know our listeners have gotten so much out of this and it's been a real pleasure. We'll connect again. Thanks for everything. Yes. And thank you for listening. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.